right. Well, good morning. You like the new prop up here, the traffic light? Yeah. When they, when they said they were bringing that out, I was a little concerned because I figured if Tillman could control that light, if I started to preach bad, all of a sudden the yellow light would like show up. And then if it continued to get worse, I know the red light would show up and then someone would drag me off the stage. So I was a little concerned, but I don't think it works that way. At least I don't think Tillman can control it. But if you do start seeing yellow, uh, let me know. Okay, so. Well, we are in the middle of a series that we've entitled Roadblocks, and we've been seeing the Lord uh, really help us walk through some, some really powerful truths as we've been exploring this as a church. And uh, so we've been looking at this, this concept that we are on a journey with Jesus, but sometimes roadblocks kind of cross that path to stop us following where Christ wants us to go. And so we want to break through those roadblocks. And what we need to do is we need to realize that behind every roadblock is a lie. It's just not true. Um, it looks true. It seems true. And we learn this, that just because it's a lie doesn't mean it's not powerful. Because lies can have power because we think they're true, right? So behind every roadblock is a lie, but behind every breakthrough is a truth. And so what we're doing in this series is we're going to break down the roadblocks that Satan has placed there and we're going to knock them over with the truth that God has given to us. And so this is a really kind of take your faith seriously kind of series, right? And it's like, Lord, I'm not going to just let things keep me stuck. I'm willing to follow King Jesus. I'm taking him seriously and I'm going to let the truth of God knock down the lie of the enemy. Can I get amen to that, right? And so that's what we want to do. Last week, I had my amazing wife join me, and we talked through some of these negative beliefs that just get stuck in our heads. And if you didn't hear this sermon last week, I want to encourage you to listen to it. And she really kind of was so vulnerable with us in sharing her own story. And then we looked at the story of this woman in the, in, in, in the Gospels who has all these negative beliefs probably about who she is. Uh, she had this terrible, just chronic illness. And, and all that kind of went with that, and yet she didn't let that keep her from Jesus. Can I get an amen? Come on. And what we learned last week is face your roadblock and let Jesus move it. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He, he moved that roadblock for her. He was able to tell her that she wasn't what she thought she was. She wasn't, uh, you know, unimportant, that she was worth stopping for. And we, and we looked at that powerful truth last week. So today we're going to uh, hit another roadblock. We're going to look at another set of roadblocks and if, if I'm being honest, I want to say this, that today's a tough one. Today, uh, we're going to look at the, uh, the tough subject of, of unforgiveness. And we're going to look at these roadblocks that are kind of around our hurts, uh, maybe the things that have been done to us that have greatly affected us. And so we want to look at like just these things that keep us stuck. And we'll look at these lies that are kind of around this concept or this this idea of forgiveness. But I want to kind of give a little disclaimer as we get started this morning, because some of us have had tremendously difficult things happen to us. And whenever you hear a sermon on forgiveness, your mind might instantly go to that. And others of us haven't. Other, uh, others of us have experienced different things. All of us have been hurt and, and you know, discouraged by other people, right? But some of us have struggled in great ways and, 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 and suffered lots of, 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 of heartache and abuse, potentially. So I want to say the principles I'm going to share today apply to all of us, right? But all of us might be working those principles out a little differently. You could put it this way. We all are, going to, are required to walk the path of forgiveness, 
but might, we might be walking that path at different speeds and we need to just be patient with each other and with ourselves, but we need to be on the journey. And I'm gonna talk about that today. And because it's a tough subject, I, I had a call this week with Mike. I love Mike, he's like my best buddy. Miss Mike, yeah. If he's watching, I know he watches. We miss you, Mike. Um, and he says, you know, Brad, it might be good to start the service off with a liturgy. I was like, Mike, of course you would say that. Let, yes, let's do a liturgy. No, I'm serious. It's really a good, a good thing, a good practice to, to pray out loud something that prepares us. So I wrote, I wrote a liturgy and I want us to pray this together as we get started on this topic. So uh, the part that's gonna be uh, in white, I will read. And then the other part I want us to read together, okay? So this is a prayer uh, to prepare our hearts. Father, today I've come to hear the truth. I have come to receive a fresh word from your spirit. Many times that word contradicts what's comfortable or easy, but I know that what you say is for my good. Jesus, you are the good shepherd who laid down your life for me. Help me to lay down my life also. In Jesus' name, amen. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis has devoted a chapter to this topic of forgiveness. And he begins that chapter saying, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive, right? Isn't that true? Forgiveness is always something we want people to extend to us, but it's hard for us to extend that to other people, right? And uh, not that this happens at my house a lot, <laughs> but you'll hear things like, hey, that happened last week. Can't you just let that go, right? Why are you bringing that up again? I said I was sorry, right? Uh, if you have kids in the house, right? And what I love about kids is they basically say what adults think, but they don't have the filter yet, right? And we feel the same way, like, hey, I said I was sorry, or that was so long ago. Why do you keep bringing that up, right? You know, forgiveness, it's such, a, it's such a critical part of having good, healthy relationships. Um, so I decided since this was a tough topic, I would start with a little joke. So this, the following is a joke, okay? Here we go. This reminds me of an old couple who had spent their whole marriage bickering. And in fact, they had decades-long grudges. They just would never let go. They're getting older, and they decided, this bickering, angry couple, that they would go to the Holy Land. Maybe that would help them, right? So they went to the Holy Land. And um, uh, as they're walking and doing all the hikes, tragedy struck, and um, the older man, he had a heart attack, and he died. Well, um, <clears throat> the tour guide um, you know, after they took the man to the hospital and everything, the tour guide comes back to the, to the now widow and he says, you know, I just am so sorry for your loss. And he expressed his condolences. And he said, you know, uh, this has actually happened some other times. I mean, sometimes this happens over here. And I, I just know from experience, it costs about $10,000 to ship your husband back to the States. And if that's not something you're prepared for, there is a burial plot here. Um, that we have designated for this. And it's only about $1,000 to bury your loved one here. So you decide. She thought about it for about 10 seconds. And then she goes, no, I think I'll, I'll pay the 10,000. And he says, well, I understand that. You know, it's important to have your loved ones, you know, buried nearby. And she goes, oh, no, that's not it. 
a long time ago, someone else was buried over here and he only stayed dead for three days. I can't risk that happening again. <laughs> Come on. I like that. It's a resurrection joke, right? Come on. It's like the perfect pastor joke, right? Okay. <laughs> I know. But here's the thing. <laughs> Isn't that sad how honestly grudges, bitterness, anger, hostility, how that just really, I mean, think about that, guys. Like you, you can let that ruin a marriage. I mean, when you were at the altar, right? You didn't, you didn't imagine like, you know, when you're saying your vows for someone to have and to hold, you know, for richer or for poorer so that I could hold a grudge against for the rest of my life. Like, no, that's not in your vows. You're not imagining like a life of, 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 of like bickering and, and, and hostility, right? You want the fairy tale. You want the happily ever after. You want that kind of like, man, I just love you and I'm, I'm more in love every day, right? That's what you want. That's what we want. And yet bitterness and, and anger and, and hostility, it, it, can, it can sink a relationship. And so we want to talk about forgiveness. And as I said a minute ago, you know, it's something we all want someone to extend, but it's hard for us to do that. We all want to receive forgiveness, but it's hard for us to give forgiveness. And let me get a couple of the big roadblocks out of the way. Because I think that the minute you heard this sermon was on forgiveness, you may have thought one or more of these roadblocks that kind of associate with that. Here's the first one. If I forgive them, I'm basically saying that what they did was okay. Some of us think that. Some of us think that if we forgive somebody for what they've done, we're, we're, we're no longer saying that what they did was wrong. Another one might be, honestly, I really don't think I can. I've tried and I just can't get past it. I just cannot forgive. A third one might be, you know, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. And I think these thoughts, and maybe there's others that are around this, but whenever you get this kind of idea that I need to forgive, like one of these or more of these kind of begin to stop us in our tracks. And so I want to look at what does Jesus say? And I want to talk about this, this important topic of moving past these roadblocks. What I want to say at the outset is I'm so thankful that I don't stand up here and just give you my own thoughts. That I'm not here to give you some like pop psychology, uh, you know, here's a couple tips for a better, happier life. Like that is not why we're here. Guys, we are here because we're convinced Jesus is king. And we're here because we believe Jesus has the, the, the keys to death and hell, right? That he is victorious. And so when I'm going to talk to you about what Jesus says, these are not like God's suggestions, right? These are God's commands. And we're going to approach it from that posture. Like, this is what King Jesus says. Like, and I want to say this, right? He's a good king. Remember the rich young ruler a couple of weeks ago? Jesus had to say something hard to that guy. Remember, because his whole, his whole world was around money and he couldn't, the young man couldn't put his finger on it, but Jesus could. And you remember what Jesus does? He puts, he looks at him and he says, the text says he looked at him and he loved him. And then he tells him, go sell all that stuff and give it to the poor and follow me. I, everything we're going to say today, I want you to think that way. Jesus has got his hands on your shoulders. He's looking you right in the eyes and he is loving you when he says this. This is not to hurt you. This is not to put some like impossible thing into your life that makes you just despair. This is, I love you enough to tell you some truth, even if you can't put your finger on it right now. You wonder, you wonder why your life has kind of this poison of bitterness. 
You wonder why relationships are strained. You wonder why things are just not going well. Like Jesus wants to look at you and say, let's deal with some root causes here. And so I want to look at this. In Matthew chapter five, I want to show you one of the things that Jesus says. It's pretty radical. But this again, this is what King Jesus says. He says, you've heard it said, love your, your neighbor and hate your enemy. So this was not a quote of the Old Testament, but this is pretty much a cultural kind of a cultural idea that we need to love our neighbors. That, that's in the Old Testament. And, but it's okay for us to really hate our enemies. And in this context, that'd be Rome, right? Like, I hate the Romans. I hate what they do. I hate the way they oppress us I, and tax us and abuse us. And so for a, an abused people, an oppressed people, right? Like, it would be very common coin to like, I love my fellow Jew. I don't like the Romans, Right? And that's kind of where Jesus, so when Jesus gives a Sermon on the Mount, we need to remember that's the context, that's the people, that's, that's who's hearing this. And he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Again, this is not some theoretical persecution. This is actual persecution. And you know, in another place in the same sermon, he talks about when you're compelled to go one mile, go a second mile. That was a direct uh, a connection to the Roman law that soldiers could require their subjects to carry their loads a mile. So Jesus is well aware of this persecution. This isn't, again, this isn't theory. This is actual practice. And so these disciples are being told that they are to love their enemies and pray for their, for their persecutors. This is radical stuff. This is, this is kingdom of heaven stuff, not kingdom of earth stuff, right? And so Jesus, later on in the book of Matthew, he's teaching about conflict in Matthew 18. And he's talking to his disciples about getting through conflict. And he tells them how important it is that if you have a conflict, that you go to that person and you, and you go to him directly. And if it doesn't work out, you bring someone with you. And he goes through these steps. And so Peter's there and he's listening to this teaching. Again, he's listening to all of Jesus's teaching about loving your enemies, about now working through conflict and forgiving in the, in the, in the prayer, the, the Lord's prayer. Jesus talks about forgiving our debtors as we, uh, you know, being forgiven by God as we forgive our debtors. And so Peter being the student he is, and I love Peter because he's always asking the questions that I'd want to be asked. He says, well, Jesus, um, I just heard your teaching about conflict and working through these problems with our, with our brothers and sisters. And he says this, look at this. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sinned against me? I love this. Such a good middle schooler. I think Peter was like an eternal middle school kid. Like, how many times do I got to do it? I just love that, right? And then he says, up to seven times. Now, Peter's suggestion of seven is probably because it's, there, there was this kind of idea from the Old Testament that you would forgive someone three times, like three times, you know, three strikes, you're out kind of thing. And Peter's probably thinking, well, Jesus goes beyond the Old Testament. Like if I've learned one thing, that's what I've learned about Jesus. He always goes beyond it. And seven's like the perfect number, right? So Peter's like, I bet it's seven. I bet that's the number, right? Like, is that the right number? You know? Uh, and Jesus's response is so revealing because be, Jesus wants Peter to stop counting. Aren't you glad God stopped counting? He says, it's not seven times. 
but 77 times, or it could be seven times 70. Jesus is saying, Peter, it's not about counting offenses. It's about learning to be a forgiving kind of person. I'm here to transform you from someone who would count offenses to someone who forgets how to count. Because that's exactly who my father is. He's someone who doesn't count anymore because you're in Christ. Man, come on. I'm so glad our God doesn't count my offenses. But I think Peter needed a story. Jesus says, I think he needs a story because I don't think he's going to catch this. So I'm going to tell him a story. And so Jesus gets into one of his famous stories here. And it's a powerful story. Matthew chapter 18, if you haven't turned there yet, turn there because this is where we're going to be. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. Now, every time Jesus tells a story, a parable, and if there's a king in that parable, you can almost bet that king is going to represent God. And if there are servants in the parable, you can bet that servant's going to represent us or humans. All right, so here we have a parable where there's a king, so there's God, and there's a servant, so that's us. But here's the problem. The king wants to do something. The king wants to settle accounts. Guys, that's a judgment scene, right? This, this, this parable brings us right into this judgment scene. This is the end of the world kind of thing. This is where a king is now ready to settle up with us. And so the, the story starts ominously. As he began the settlement, so in other words, as judgment day started, that's kind of how you'd interpret that, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 10,000 bags of gold. We're talking about an incalculable debt, an unpayable debt. This is hyperbole. This is exaggeration. There's a point to be made. Many times Jesus uses hyperbole to make the point sharp. And so he's doing that here. This man is brought that has an incalculable, unpayable debt before this king. And verse 25 says, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that, his, that he and his wife and his children and all that he had would be sold to repay the debt. This isn't punitive. This is just practice. This is exactly how it was in those days. If you were indebted to a king, th this is just what the law required. This is kind of the sentence. It's like, okay, this is your debt. Well, you can't pay it. Well, then here you go, right? So there, there isn't any emotion from the king. There isn't any anger. He isn't upset. He's just meeting out like the, the required justice. And there we go in verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees. So the weight of the judgment has now become felt by the, by the servant. The impending judgment that's about to be executed on him has now falling on his shoulders. And at that, the, the man is on his knees and he's begging now for the king. And look what he says. He says, at this, the servant falls on his knees before him. Be patient with me. He begged and I will pay back everything. Now, I can understand why he says this, but the reality of the situation is there isn't enough time this man couldn't live a thousand lifetimes and pay back what was owed. That's kind of the point. Like you can ask for patience, but honestly, there, that, isn't, that doesn't factor here. There's not enough patience here, right? There isn't enough time here. This is an unpayable debt. And he knows it and the king knows it. But look at the next verse. The servant's master, let's all say it, took pity. 
Guys, this is the real heart of the Father. This is who Jesus continually reveals the Father to be. In every teaching, in every story, in every parable, Jesus continually reveals that this is who the Father really is. The Father is full of mercy, full of compassion. He's the one embracing the prodigal son, right? He's the one behind all, he's the, he's the one that, who travels and finds that lost sheep or that missing coin. That's who the Father is. That's who the Father is. He sends the, the rain on the just and on the unjust. That's who he is. And so in this story, that's who the father truly is. He's, he's, one to, he's one to take pity on the servant. Verse 28, now the story turns. So the man has left the presence of the king and verse 28 happens and everything turns and look at this, it says, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. A hundred silver coins is maybe two or three months wages. So it's a significant sum. It's not like $5. So it might be, you know, for several thousand dollars. But what's interesting here is if you compare that sum to what the other sum was, the, the 10,000 bags of gold, right? There is no comparison, right? That's kind of the point of the parable. He's, Jesus is extending out a comparison and saying, yes, there is a debt there is a debt between these two servants, but in comparison to the other debt, it is negligible. It is hardly recognizable. It's hardly registering. It's so minuscule in comparison. It's interesting that Jesus has chosen debt language when he's talking about sins against each other. I think it's a really fascinating choice that Jesus has made to, to compare the sins or the injuries that we do to each other to debts because it really translates well, because if somebody owes you some money, what is the natural like desire to collect what's owed, right? And if somebody's hurt you, what is the natural thing to kind of collect what's owed? And we collect what's owed in lots of ways, right? And we have a name for it. It's called revenge, right? I'm going to get what's owed. You hurt me. You stole, in a way, you stole from me and I'm going to steal back from you. I'm going to get you back, right? And so this man is uh, sees, he finds this fellow servant, but notice what he does. He, he grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demands. Now, now I tell you, Jesus is just a master at the human condition, isn't he? He just knows how we are, right? I mean, guys, how many of us, um, if we saw somebody that's hurt us, what would want to choke them, right? Like that is a normal human response. I just want to choke him, right? Like, in fact, one of the ways you know you may have gotten or you haven't gotten past like someone who's hurt you is if you see that person and you bump into them and all of a sudden you want to choke them, right? <laughs> like, I just really want to choke him right now, right? I was thinking about the fact that this servant chokes this guy, Right? This, this physical assault. And I was thinking, okay, what's behind a physical assault? You don't just wake up one day and say, I just want to choke that person, right? You know, what's behind it is a lot of thinking about that person. It's stewing on them what they've done, how they've hurt him. Right? The text says that he found this guy. It may be that he went looking for him. We don't know, right? Maybe, right? And when he sees him, when he finds this guy, all that he's been thinking about, doing to that person, right? And maybe you're, you're, you know, 
assault of choice isn't to choke someone, right? Maybe that's not what you would do, but you will do something, right? How many of us have had imaginary arguments, right? Like, and we just know what we're going to say. The next time we get a chance, the next time I see that ugly bug, I'm going to, and, and you know, you have it all scripted, right? Some of your phones, I don't have my phone, you have notes because you're like, oh yeah, that would be a good one to say. I'm going to write that down so I don't forget that one, right? Middle of the night, you know, you're like, wake up at two in the morning. Oh, write that one down. That's going to, that's going to get them, right? Like, that is what we do. Again, we, we might not physically assault someone, maybe we do, right? But we are going to verbally, we, why? Because there's a well of bitterness that has just been welling up as that wound has festered. What they've done, it was, in, it was unjust, it wasn't fair, and I'm thinking about how unfair it was and how much they owe me, and I'm thinking about that, I'm just letting it fester. And so when I see them, I want to choke them. And so this guy is, look what happens, the, verse, the next verse, it says, but his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, notice what he says, and at this point, the guy should have kind of came to his senses, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. That phrase is almost identical to what he said to the king, right? So, I mean, he obviously breaks the chokehold, right? Now he's on his knees, he's like, dude, just give me some time, which is exactly what the guy just said to the king, but that doesn't deter him. He doesn't snap out of it, because here's the thing, the young man has not been transformed by the love of the king. He remains hardened. He remains bitter, right? He, he remains angry. And so he's choking. And then he, uh, he hears the cry for, for mercy and, and will give none. He'll receive forgiveness, but he will not extend it. And here's what it says. He refused in verse 30. Instead, he went off and, 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 and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, that the judgment that we judge will be the way that we're judged. The way that we will condemn others is how we're going to be condemned. And in this terrible story of this man who was just forgiven so much, and now he's unwilling to extend any of that, we see the terrible reality of a heart that isn't transformed by grace, but instead is consumed by revenge. I want to show you what Paul says in chapter 12 of Romans. He's writing to Christians, and he says these powerful words. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, right, live at peace with everyone. And then he says these words. Do not take revenge. Dear friends, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay says the Lord, can you just let Jesus look at you, grab you by the shoulders, look at you right in the eyes and just say, I've got this. Let it go. It's too heavy for you. It's drowning you. The weight of revenge is crushing you. It's ruining your life all your other relationships, it's destroying you. Give me your revenge. Give your enemy your forgiveness. I'm, I'm telling you this because I love you. Let my love transform you. Look at the cross and everything you've been given. 
in Jesus and let that transform you. Let's go back to our story. Look at how this story ends. It says, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and notice the judgment. You wicked servant, you untransformed servant, right? It, it, is, it, is the, it is what is revealed in the actions, not in what you say, but what you do that shows the true condition of your heart. It's like, it's like the statement that says, the, the, the heavy truck that drives over the bridge doesn't create the cracks, but it reveals them. And the person who's hurt you doesn't create the anger, it reveals it. And when you are in a conflict situation and what comes out is hatred and bitterness, brother, sister, that's what's inside. And that's a problem because we're supposed to have been transformed by the love of Jesus. Forgived people forgive, right? When you've been forgiven, you will forgive. It's part of what happens when you meet Jesus on the cross. I want you to picture yourself in front of the cross. And I want you to picture yourself with an arm load of rocks that you have, you're ready to throw. You've, you've picked them up along the way. And you've got them all ready. They're ammo for those people that hurt you. And I want you to see what happens, what should be happening to you. You walk up to the cross of Jesus. And on the cross of Jesus, you see every sin you've ever committed. You see every offense you've ever done. And you see the love of God poured out on that cross, you see Jesus, who, whose stripes have healed you, whose wounds have healed you. You see that on the, on, the, on the face of Jesus, the one who's literally dying in your place. He's taking what you deserve. And at the cross, here's what happens. The awe of the salvation, the awe of the love, the awe of the grace that's, that's poured out on the cross causes you to just in awe, just drop everything that's, that you carry to that cross. And you have no more rocks to throw because everything you've ever done is now hanging on that cross. And in awe, you can do nothing but to let those things go so that you can bow down and kiss the feet of the one whose feet were pierced for you. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. As this story goes, as the story ends, he says at the end of the story, Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's a hard teaching. Okay, Brad, so Jesus is really clear I need to forgive, but, and I'm willing to. Can you help me? How do I start? How do I start? And I think, I think C.S. Lewis, I, I really want to commend this chapter in Mere Christianity on Forgiveness to you to read. But he says something here that's so helpful. Because he's wrestling through this. Okay, there's, I mean, he's writing in World War II era. There was a lot to forgive. And he says, you know what I thought? I read something Jesus says about how we're to love people. And he says this, look what Jesus says in Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. He quotes the great commandment, but then he says this. Here's the second commandment. Love your neighbor, including your enemy, as yourself. So Lewis says, you know, what's interesting there is I thought about, okay, God requires me to love my enemy, just like I love myself, love my neighbors, I love myself. How do I love myself? 
Here's what Lewis realized. I love myself doesn't mean I'm always happy with myself. In fact, sometimes I'm really angry with myself. Sometimes I, can I say this? I'm so disappointed in myself that if I'm not careful, I might hate myself, right? That's not good. But what I do in my healthier moments is I realize, okay, Brad, you need to go apologize to your wife, okay? And you need to tell her you're sorry. And what you need to hope is that she'll forgive you. Amen, guys? Okay, right? And here's what you do. Here's what you do. You love yourself in this way. I am unhappy with what I did. But I want to be the kind of person who changes. So I start to pray, God, will you change my heart? I don't like that I was the kind of person who did that. So here's what Lewis says. When you love your enemy in that same way, you're doing essentially the same. You're saying, I hate what they did, but you separate the person from what they did. You separate the sinner from the sin. And you say, look, I can actually hate what they did and still pray for the person. And I can pray for the same thing I pray for me. Like, Lord, would you change him into the kind of person who wouldn't be abusive anymore? Would you open their eyes to how destructive they are and their behavior is? God, would you help them? Because God, if they don't get revelation of that, that doesn't change, then what's awaiting for them on the other side of this world is a terrible judgment. Lord, I don't want them to face that judgment. I want them to be recovered and saved. God, praying for your enemies is the same as you pray for yourself when in your better moments, you realize just how far you've fallen short and how much you need God's grace and other people's forgiveness. And so in that same way, here's, here's how you remove one of those roadblocks. You're never saying what they did was okay. You're not saying it was okay. In fact, you're saying the opposite. It was not okay. But I am not gonna let what they did define me anymore. I'm going to pray, God, would you transform that person by your love, just like I pray you transform me. And so the roadblock that says, man, you know, I, I, can't, I can't forgive somebody because that would be somehow betraying myself. That's not true. You're simply saying, I'm not going to let what they did poison me and me to continue to stew on that and hate that person any further. I want to look at the last two roadblocks the roadblock that says, I don't think I can forgive them. And the roadblock that says, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. And I want to say two things about that. I think both of these roadblocks are connected to how hard it is to forgive, especially in really tough situations. And I think it needs to happen in two steps. I think forgiveness needs to happen in two steps. And I think step one is what you could call decisional forgiveness. This is a decision you make without emotion. This is a decision you make based on the command of Jesus. And decisional forgiveness is when you say, I am making the decision, right, to let them go. I'm just making that decision. I'm going to let them go. I'm no longer going to hope that a Mack truck hits them. I'm no, I'm no, I'm no longer going to hope that, you know, bad things happen. In fact, I'm going to pray, just like I said a minute ago, just like I would pray for myself, Every day, I'm going to pray for them. When, they're, when they come to my mind, because I get triggered all the time, instead of writing down the next thing on my note app that I'm going to say to them, what I do instead is I say, Lord, transform them deep in their heart. God, put a Christian in their life. God, do something to help them change. So you start to intentionally pray. Here's why. Because you, you made a decision to forgive them. Are you with me on that? 
That's step one. Here's step two. After you make that decision, I think what will happen eventually is what you call emotional forgiveness. This is the, the state of emotion that changes based on decisions. So, hey, how many of us know sometimes we got to make a decision and let our, our, our emotions catch up later, right? That's why we should never just follow our hearts, right? Because sometimes our hearts are all messed up, right? What we need to do is make a decision and let our emotions catch up to that. And so sometimes you need to make that decision. I will no longer choose to stew and to think about that person. Instead, I'm going to pray for them and then the emotions catch up. That's why saying I'll forgive, but I'll never forget is not helpful. Because what you're actually saying is you're making the choice to keep the memory alive of what they've done. And that right there, my friend, only keeps you in that place of bitterness longer. It will keep you away from both decisional and emotional forgiveness. So friend, this is our, our, our message today. What are we going to do with this? Are we going to come to the cross of Jesus and are we going to let the transforming love of Jesus make the decisions for our life? Are we going to let King Jesus get to tell us what we do? Or are we going to decide this is an area, like I said in the first sermon, I'm not letting you touch. Because if we don't let him touch it, he can't transform it. And so as we end today, I want to just ask you to just have a moment with Jesus. If I could have you stand together, church, and just have this moment with Jesus, this moment where you just let Jesus have full control of your life. And maybe when I first started this sermon, a person's name came to your mind right away, a situation. In the last sermon afterward, I heard, as you can imagine, lots of people telling me terrible things that, that they'd gone through people that have stolen from them, people that have hurt them in other ways. And, and guys, I want you to just kind of your, your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And, and, and whatever that might have been brought up to you, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get you to see this from a different angle. Rather than focusing on what they did to you, you're gonna focus on what Jesus did for you. Rather than the lie that says you're defined by what was done to you, which means you're damaged. You're gonna look at the truth, which says I'm defined by what Jesus did for me. And so I'm forgiven and I'm a forgiving kind of person. So church, with your eyes closed, I want you just to say that to God. God, I choose to be a forgiving person. God, I choose to not be defined by what was done to me, but be defined by what was done for me. I choose to, instead of focusing repeatedly on the past, I wanna look at the future where one day I stand before King Jesus and I'm vindicated and I'm forgiven of all that I've done. I'm welcome into that eternal kingdom. I'm no longer gonna be defined by what people did to me. I will choose to be defined by what Jesus did for me. Father, I pray in the holy name of Jesus, the one who took all of our offenses and all of our crimes, the things we've long forgotten we've done. He's taken them all. And he knows all of our stories. He knows all of the ways we've been hurt. He knows all of the injustice we've experienced. He knows it all. There's not anything that escaped your notice, Jesus. 
and you will take care of those who need taken care of. But it is not our place. And so Lord, we make a choice as a church to be defined by the cross and by the King. We make a choice to be defined by what Jesus has done. And we're kicking down the roadblocks that tell us we can't forgive. It was too, it's too hard to forgive. We're kicking that down. We know by your spirit, we can overcome any obstacle. By your spirit, we can overcome any offense because you did that for us. And that same spirit is now in us. So God, we are choosing to be defined by the King and the cross. And in Jesus' name, I pray for healing to be just spread into this church.